0: Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and welcome. Today, uh, I'd like to take a few minutes and speak about something that's very much on our minds today. And it seems like peace is on our minds. And it could be that peace is on our mind, or maybe even the absence of peace, because today we're talking about, it happens that it's the third fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians, and it's interesting, Aaron was mentioning a few minutes ago about putting bits and pieces together. And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit weaves things together that we don't know about until we're in the middle of it. But it seems in recent weeks we've had messages on love and on joy, and now it's on peace today. And anybody looking around the world today can certainly see that peace is needed. We finished The United States finished our longest war in Afghanistan several weeks ago, and that country is still torn apart with factions against other factions. And then you can turn on the news almost any day, and you can read about how the Russian government is enforcing, or they're rather building up forces on the border of Ukraine. Thousands of troops, and it looks like at any time, that could erupt into war. Hope and pray that it doesn't. But let me share some interesting statistics with you about peace. This is from a publication called the Personnel Journal, and it comes to us from the Moody Bible Institute. The Personnel Journal reported this incredible statistic. Since the beginning of recorded history, the entire world has been at peace less than 8% of the time. In its study, This periodical discovered that of 3,530 years of recorded history, only 286 years saw peace. Moreover, in excess of 8,000 peace treaties were made and broken. Quite a statistic, isn't it? And if anybody questions that we need peace, uh, all they have to do is take a, a look at that. Well, where is peace to be found? How is it possible? We can look first in a view that's given us in Webster's International Dictionary. And freedom has, or peace rather, has three definitions. One is freedom from war or strife. Another one is public order or security. And the third one is an agreement to end war. Now those things relate really to not just to individuals peace but more to governments and the bigger picture across the world. But then let's consider for a few minutes uh, some biblical examples of peace. And where we're going with this, in case you're wondering, will be how peace is something that we find within and how peace affects us and how peace comes into our lives as individuals well psalm 4 number 8 verse 8 says i will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone O lord make me dwell in safety and then in numbers 6 verses 24 to 26 we have that famous benediction you'll hear again later today but not too much later The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And then we can look at uh, peace among nations, how that works. There is a passage in 1 Kings beginning in uh, chapter 22, verse 41. I think I just listed the verse 41. I have two others. And it deals with... uh, Jehoshaphat, and I'll read just a little bit of that to you. This is 1 Kings chapter 22, beginning in verse 41. Now Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king. He reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azitabab and the daughter of Shall he? And he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, where the people offered sacrifices and burned incense in the high places. Also, Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. So there's peace among nations, or different groups. And then Judges 417 speaks of Jabin the king of Canaan whose kingdom had friendly relationships with the nearby kingdom. And then we can come into our own times and we can look at our United States relationship with Canada and that's been very interesting over the years. Peaceful for the most part but there have been occasional trade dust-ups and recent border restrictions brought about by the pandemic. But overall, a, a peaceful relationship. And may that continue. It has for a long time. So now we come down looking at, in our life today, where we can find inner peace because that's that's a critical, important thing. It's, It's well to look at the peace between nations and the peace between groups and kings and all these things in the past, but the thing that is so critical for us, so important to us as believers, is that inner peace, which once we have that, then it's altogether appropriate and it's scriptural that that peace moves outward from us and that we can become instruments of peace to other people. And our inward peace comes from God. Without this, we can't really think, we can't be realistic to think that we can be instruments of peace. John fourteen twenty seven, very fine, <clears throat> meaningful passage. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Now, I've found over the years that it's evident that we can let ourselves be troubled. I think that's a key part of that verse. We can choose a lot of these things, you know. Uh, I have found that our thoughts, the things that we think about, the things that we meditate about, can have a tremendous effect on whether or not we have peace in our lives or whether we have the opposite, whether we can have turmoil and we where we can have things that disturb us. And one of my very favorite passages that goes along with that and supports that is in Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure... Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if anything is praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I'll tell you folks, that has been a great blessing to me over the years because uh, I can get troubled about things. I can worry about things. And sometimes in the night I wake up. And uh, as recently as last night and the night before I've spent some time uh, meditating <coughs> on these things and how, how important it is that we can choose we can choose t- to be to be uh, built up by this I think of the opposite effect and I just came to, I didn't intend to mention this but I brief anecdote when I started teaching in a college in Pennsylvania there was the lady who was the secretary of the dean Sylvia Richter was a lady of late middle age, and she was a lady that had, had a, may, a way of intimidating or making people afraid. She just had this mindset, and she had this attitude about her that she seemed to be kind of angry a lot of the time. Well, I was just a young guy. I think I was 27 years old when I got into that position. And I found then and since then that I've had two experiences that in my life I have been very well accepted by two groups, dogs and older women. And, uh, but Sylvia Richter told me one time, she said, Mr. Popiel, she said, I just can't be happy unless I'm miserable. Uh, and I had to think about that for a long time. But, but she actually really meant that. I think deep down she wasn't that miserable, but she seemed to have that mindset or that attitude. And John 16.33, it tells us that, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, can we be at inward peace in the midst of circumstances that are far from peaceful? I believe we can. And I've got two short illustrations of that. I'm very interested, a kind of a student of World War II. My dad was in the Navy. He served in the Pacific Theater. And over the recent years I've become interested. I read a lot about World War II. And I'm reading a book, very important book right now. But some time ago I came to know something about this famous naval battle uh, that was won by the United States Navy, the Battle of Midway in June of 1942. Now, it was only six months after Pearl Harbor, the Japanese had attacked us and brought us into World War II, and it was not known until a long time after the, the war was over that the United States and the Allies, England and the other Allies, had broken the Japanese codes so that we could actually read what they were going to be doing. Well, they planned a big ambush of our naval forces in in the Pacific, but the United States Navy found out about this and got ready for it. And there was a famous commander of that naval force of the United States who had taken over that command by mistake or by accident because Admiral Halsey, who was supposed to lead that force, had gotten a bad attack of some kind of a, I don't know if it was shingles or whatever it was, put him in the hospital. But anyway, the command of this force came to a subordinate of his, Admiral Raymond Spruance. And Spruance was widely recognized for his quality of inner peace. He had this well-known routine, and his uh, people who served under him knew this, every day when the ship was at sea, he would just take his regular walk. Even though things were exciting and it looked like a battle was imminent, he would be seen taking his regular walk around the uh, ship. And also, in even the day or two or three before this battle was approaching, before he knew it was coming, he would go to bed and he would sleep at the regular hours. And this had a great impact, and actually when the battle unfolded, he was not someone who got rattled and excited and made rash uh, decisions. He was calm, collected, and that had an awful lot to do with the fact that, that the U.S. won the battle. And there's another very, I think, kind of a poignant illustration of how somebody or something can be at peace when everything is far from peaceful. There was a gentleman some years ago, I think this was in the 19th century, he was an art collector, and he was actually quite wealthy, and he was looking for something that would bring peace into his life, so he put a lot of money into this contest, and he wanted to commission or put a prize in effect for painters Artists who would paint some kind of a portrait that would indicate what peace was like. So the day came when all of this was going to be <coughs> unfolded. He took time. He un- unfolded all of, took the covers off the paintings, and one after another, uh, he thought he'd find a masterpiece. Well. It says, the challenge stirred the imagination of artists everywhere. Paintings arrived from far and wide. Finally, the great day of revelation came. The judges uncovered one scene after another. The viewers clapped and cheered. Only two paintings remained. A judge pulled the cover off one. A hush fell over the crowd. A mirror-smooth lake reflected green birches under the soft blush of the evening sky. Doesn't that sound peaceful? Along the great grassy shore, a flock of sheep grazed undisturbed. Surely this must be the winner. But there was one more. He pulled the cover off, the last painting, and it was of this. A tumultuous waterfall cascaded down over a rocky precipice. The crowd could almost feel its cold penetrating spray. Stormy gray clouds threatened to explode with lightning. Wind and rain, in the midst of the thundering noises and bitter chill, a spindly tree clung to the rocks at the edge of the falls. One of its branches reached out in front of the torrential waters as if foolishly seeking to experience its full power. A little bird had built a nest in the elbow of that branch. Contented and undisturbed in her stormy surroundings, she rested on her eggs. With her eyes closed and her wings ready to cover her little ones, she manifested peace that transcends all earthly turmoil. How is that for an example of peace? Once we recognize God's inner peace, and we embrace that, it seems like there are some outward directions. So where can peace go when we have the inner peace? How and where does it or can it go from there? Well, I think one thing that's very important is peace with brothers and sisters in our church. How about those in our own church that come from different backgrounds? You know, one of the great diverse benefits of this church is its diversity we have people from all walks from and our pastor John Alt has mentioned many times how diverse a body we have and that's a great strength and I think we've done over the years a pretty good job of recognizing people and accepting people who have come from different worship styles people who maybe they uh, their dress is a little different maybe they have a different style of music in worship and yet we we are able to, to embrace that. Uh, peace in a church. Uh, I happen to have been, had an experience several years ago knowing about a church in a nearby town that was known as the church with all the problems. Some of you probably know the church I'm talking about, but I'll leave that aside for right now but this church had a reputation for splits and disputes. One of the big ones happened when the parsonage was having new carpeting put in in the downstairs, and because the carpet color did not suit the taste of a group of people, they left the church. That's kind of the, the way the thing happened over the years. Well, anyway, a young boy, I think he was six or seven years old, did not. he was not somebody whose family normally attended that church, but his grandmother did. So grandma took him to church one morning, and like you've probably seen in different churches, there would be a bronze plaque on the wall, and there would be uh, an American flag and the names of of people. Uh, So the boy, in a dull, quiet point of the service, and I guess their services were known as being fairly dull, even though the church had a lot of disputes, the boy looked up and he looked at Grandma and he said, what are, what are those signs, what are those names all about? And she said, well, those were people in our church who died while they were in the service. And he looked at Grandma and said, was that the morning service or the evening service? <laughs> and that's kind of typical of the way that church conducted itself and then peace with believers from different denominations or different groups or traditions with different styles I already mentioned once we agree on the 99.9 essentials of our faith can we have a little bit of uh, tolerance for people in other denominations were in other traditions. There's an anecdote that I read someplace. <clears throat> I'm not sure, it's certainly not original with Pete, but it goes like this, and I quote, to live above with those we love, oh, that will be the glory. To live below with those we know, well, that's another story. So that gives us a, <clears throat> a good word. And then peace with unbelievers. Now, this doesn't imply that we should just push aside all of our beliefs and commitments in order to fit in and avoid problems. Because peace at any price probably not worth what you have to pay for it. Not likely. A real challenge at this time of the year, and any time of the year, can be peace with unbelievers, unbelievers in our own families. And beyond that, people we might work with, maybe for students, people, fellow students. And that sometimes it can take a superhuman effort to embrace sanctified silence. Ecclesiastes 5.2 has a good word for us. <clears throat> and uh, as I read that, and just before I do, I'll ask the worship team to come up as we bring things to a conclusion. The verse from Ecclesiastes, before I bring a few concluding thoughts, says this, God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. That's uh, good advice for us sometimes. And as we move to the close, we need to realize that uh, at Christmas season, we, we actually could think of ourselves as kind of a magnifying glass for those who are in joyous circumstances, uh, people who are in good health, maybe their finances are in good shape uh, relationships are in good order, we can rejoice with them and that's that's altogether good but let's think about people that we know who maybe are not doing quite so well uh, maybe they are not seeing that there's peace in their life. Maybe peace is some distance away. We know within our own body uh, over the past year and fairly recently, uh, there have been people who have lost uh, members of their own family. And I would just share with you at this time the question, is there some way that we might be an instrument to bring God's peace into a person's life maybe it could be somebody in our family maybe it could be a friend maybe it could be a fellow worker is there something that we could do to bring god's peace into somebody's life let me uh just close in prayer before the worship team worship team brings uh a worship and song well heavenly father we thank you we thank you for your peace which is available And it is a gift, it is a gift of God, but like gifts from other people and gifts that we've seen uh, at the Christmas time, a gift is something that we can and, and we need to accept. The gift is offered, but let us accept it. And once we accept it and we have it within us, let us move outward and not just bottle it up. But could we be a person, could we be someone who is instrumental in bringing God's peace to somebody else? And we just pray, Lord, may that be true. May that be true in my life. And we pray that it is something that could be working out out in your life as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.